0: Well, we all have five senses, you know, uh, of most of us here, Uh, if if everything goes the way it's supposed to, of what uh, touch, taste, smell, hearing, and sight. And they're all important. There's a a Christian philosopher named Dallas Willard, and uh, he's an interesting guy that one time I read a book of his, and he said that really our bodies are created by God to be able to relate to creation, through the senses, to hear, to see, to smell, to touch, to taste, to be in relationship with each other, to be able to talk and to touch, and also uh, to relate to God. And it's the one that we relate to God that sin has kind of cut off. And uh, and that's the relationship that needs to be restored through Jesus Christ. But I always found it interesting that his philosophy was that, you know, the body is essentially a tool for communication and relationship. And if you think about it, it... he's right. I mean, why else would we have all these different senses? And when you look at the colors and just the diversity of what the world is around us, how amazing it is that we can relate to it in all these different ways. So if I was to tell you, you had to lose one of your five senses, which one would you choose? Which one would you say, okay, I can live without this one? That's a tough question if you really think about it, because you might say, well, touch isn't that big, important, uh, some of you say taste. Yeah, you see, well, touch is, touch is important because I don't, I'm not an ep- expert on leprosy, but I'm told that part of the problem with people who have leprosy is they can't feel anything, and so they'll injure themselves, and then they don't realize they've injured themselves, and then this can get infected and cause problems. Taste, I don't know if I don't want to lose taste, man, because I love to eat, but maybe some of, the, some of you folks think differently about that. S- <laughs> smell, <laughs> smell affects taste. And then you've got hearing. A lot of you are music students. Could you imagine not being able to hear? Like Beethoven, how he managed to have to compose without hearing. That would be hard. But I think sight for many of us would be the one that we'd really say, I don't want to live without being able to see. Because sight is one of those things that uh, it just informs us in so many different ways. It helps us to to be safe as we walk around the world. Have you ever seen blind people when they're they're using that cane? Uh, I didn't realize that at the Hottestella, like the little lines and little dots are there to tell people who are blind, you know, where they're at on the Hottestella so they don't fall off and, you know, get hit by the train. And so that's what those lines and dots are. And if you've ever watched someone there kind of navigate, they'll use their cane. And I'm always fascinated by people who can go out and navigate the world without being able to see it, who are blind. And uh, when I lived in Lesotho, which is in southern Africa, you know, the, the infrastructure wasn't built for people who were blind, and uh, you did see the people out there with their canes kind of going around, but they had no real sidewalks and stuff, and I always thought, wow, that has got to be just kind of an everyday terrifying adventure to go out into this world that you can't see, and just hope that the rest of your senses uh, can pick up on being able to, to guide you. And then I just think of what you can't see with colors and all that. I think sight would be the one I would say, certainly, I don't want to do without That would be my number one that I can't, I really wouldn't want to do without. So today in the sermon that we're looking at, we're in Matthew chapter 20. And uh, we're going to look also in Mark, which tells the same story. In fact, I'll just read it out of of Mark. It's the exact same story of Matthew, except that we're given the name of the fellow that is talked about anonymously in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, where we're going to be looking at, we're in Mark chapter 10. Starting at verse 46. And it says this Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, I think right off the bat, it's kind of interesting that we, we hear Bartimaeus' name, and then we get even more specific that he's the son of a guy named Timaeus which tells me that it's likely that Bartimaeus and probably his father Timaeus was known to the early church, that they eventually are people that become involved in the early church because they they get very specific about who they are. And you wouldn't do that in a a gospel unless the people reading it would kind of know who you're talking about. The Apostle Paul does this all the time in, in his letters. He'll refer to specific people knowing that the people who are reading it in Rome or in Ephesus would know the names of those people. So I find that interesting, that it's likely Bartimaeus and his father Timaeus were known to the early church. When they heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. Now this is before he probably knew and became part of the church. This is, the church hadn't developed yet. He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now oh, There we go. Look at us. In verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. Along the road. I think in many ways the story about Bartimaeus is, is a simple story. Like many of the gospel stories. It's a simple story. Its concept is pretty straightforward. You know, there's this fellow Bartimaeus who's blind. And uh, in Matthew we learn that there's actually two of them there. Uh, but Bartimaeus, Like this happens often in the gospels. They'll focus in on the one who's talking out at the, to the almost complete exclusion of the other. Uh, they, the Gospels often do this. And so Mark just focuses on Bartimaeus. But there's actually two of them that were sitting there. And when they heard that Jesus was coming, they, they called out for him. And, and I, kind of backing up, I think this story is kind of a, a, a bit of a nutshell of what it means to follow Christ. And what it means to come to know Christ. And how you have to understand your own limitations in order to reach out to what God brings into your life. And Bartimaeus was blind, and he knew he was blind. And it's interesting when you read the Gospels, blindness is something that is often asked, you know, the people in the Gospels often ask Jesus to heal, more so than any other particular disease. I mean, there are times he heals leprosy, skin diseases. Uh, There's times he heals someone who's mute. Uh, Not too often people who are deaf, but blind he's, he's often asked to heal. And Jesus will often do it in unusual ways. Sometimes he just touches them and they can see. So there's, a, there's one story where he mixes his spit with the dirt and then he puts it on their eyelids and he tells them to go wash uh, in, a, in a holy pool and they do and they can see. One of the most interesting ones I think that's out there is where Jesus heals a guy who's blind and he says, I can see, but everything looks like trees walking around. And then Jesus touches him a second time and he can see clearly. And I found that interesting because I read an article years ago written by an ophthalmologist who's an eye doctor who said that, in the article, said that when people do, when they receive cornea transplants, if they've been blind for a long time, their brain has to be retrained to, to recognize what it's seeing. Because on your own, your eyes right now, everything would be upside down if your brain wasn't interpreting it for you. And even depth would be off. Your brain does a lot of interpretation so it turns things right side up and gets things back together so you can actually function. Your eyesight is usable for you. And so this guy, who was a believer, he just said that, yeah, when Jesus healed his eyes, his brain had to, wasn't able to, to take in all the information so then Jesus touches him a second time and he can see everything, which is a remarkable insight given that we didn't know that medically until thousands of years after Jesus actually performed that miracle, and it's recorded in those specific terms. That's, that's the kind of stuff that kind of blows my mind about the Bible, that these little details are found throughout the Scripture. So this guy is born blind, Bartimaeus. And one thing about Bartimaeus you have to give him credit for is he knows what he needs. He knows that he's blind, and he knows that he needs someone to help him. And so he calls out to Jesus, and he calls him Son of David. And we've mentioned before that the term Son of David is a unique one. It's, it's Jesus' own way that he refers to himself most of the time. And one reason why he does that, the Scripture never tells us exactly why he does it, but there's a speculation. It goes back to the uh, book of Daniel that it's part of the prophecy when Daniel sees one coming as the Son of Man entering into the court of heaven and who is given authority, in the court of heaven over all things. And he comes as a son of man. And so Jesus uses this term very often, son of man. And son of David is is one that gets very specific because son of man then becomes the one that comes from the house of David. And Jesus, whenever anyone refers to him as son of David, he will, it gets his attention for whatever reason. There's a Gentile lady who uses it. Remember, several weeks back, he calls, she calls him son of David, which was unusual because he was in Gentile territory. It's a very Jewish name. It's a very specific out-of-the-house-of-David name. And yet this woman uses it, and it gets his attention. And he starts talking to her. And in this case, as the blind man knows that Jesus is coming, he uses this title that he knows is going to get Jesus' attention. When he says, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. And Jesus well, stops. But before Jesus gets a chance to talk to him, it's interesting what the crowd does. The crowd tells him to sit down and shut up. They rebuke him. To be rebuked isn't just told, that's wrong. To be rebuked is to told, you know, not just what you said is wrong, but you're wrong and what you're doing. It's a much more severe type of thing. Sit down, shut up. And what's the scripture say he does? He doesn't sit down. He begins to shout even louder and cry out even louder. You know, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus stops and says, call him. You know, in our life as believers and non-believers, this place of blindness is something, now Bartimaeus' blindness is kind of the metaphor for the spiritual blindness that a lot of us have. A lot of people in the world think that they understand how the world functions around them. And they're able to to function within their blindness and this is like i told you what i find fascinating about people who are physically blind today i'm always very impressed at how well they can function within a world in, in which they can't see and they don't really know exactly what's going on around them they can kind of figure it out through sound and smell and and maybe you know heightened senses in other ways but they really don't know what's going on and if you were to ask them What's going on? Could someone please let in this person? I don't know what's going on here. If someone were to say to them, do you know what's going on? They could probably describe the world around them in in the way they understand it. I'm hearing loud trucks. I'm smelling the exhaust of of something that has passed by. I, I can feel the rumble of the train or whatever it is. But if we don't know that we're blind, then we don't know what we need to ask for. And this is where Bartimaeus is kind of the example. He knows what his issue is. We don't know if he was born blind. We don't know if he became blind later on in life. But he knows that he can't see. And I wonder how often it is that people don't even realize their spiritual blindness. That they're walking around in a world, like I said, you can interface because your body with the creation. You can talk with other people. But this relationship, this interface with God, the way to, to relate to him is blinded. I think a lot of folks don't even realize that. They don't know what they don't know. I had an old guy I listened to one time. He was an Anglican pastor, and he told a story one time about when he was a young father. and He was an old man when he was telling the story. But uh, when he was a young father, uh, they were walking along the river. There was a park there. And somewhere along the way, they lost their child. And they began to panic because they weren't really from this town. And they were like running around looking for their child, and they couldn't find their child. And there was a river there, so of course, they're thinking the worst, you know, oh my gosh, what if my child fell into the river? So they went down and they're looking. And they saw this gathering of people, and it was a birthday party for someone. So they started to go over there. And sure enough, their kid was at the birthday party. And, and, uh, and, the thing that he said that struck me as profound, he goes, my child was lost and didn't even know it. In fact, my child was lost and was having a great time <laughs> at this birthday party with a person they didn't even know, by the way. He just showed up. He was about seven years old and figured there's cake and ice cream. Everyone's singing a song. I'll just go there. And the, and the story, as he told it, you know, it was... It was it was profound that you know his child was lost, didn't know it. In fact, his child was having a good time and didn't realize the panic within their parents. I think this is what a lot of the world is like. They're blind and don't even know it. And Christ, you know, God is in his love, empties himself of his glory, walks among us, the very word of God made flesh, dwelling among us for us to, to know and to understand the very character and nature of God And yet most of the world didn't even recognize it. You know, they said Jesus was a glutton and hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes, or he was, you know, somehow violating the Sabbath. They always had reasons that they just couldn't recognize who Jesus really was. Bartimaeus did. In his blindness, ironically, Bartimaeus understands who Jesus is better than most people who can see. And he knows that he needs him, so he calls out to him. And Jesus, and the world responds kind of in a typical way. First, they tell him to sit down and shut up. And then when Jesus says, oh, have him come, then they're like, hey, cheer up, everything's great. I mean, the world goes from one extreme to the other on on Bartimaeus. But he's not very, to give Bartimaeus credit, he doesn't really seem to be listening too much to the voices of the other people around him. He just kind of shuts it out and focuses on Jesus. And then Jesus does something that is indeed, I think, very interesting. It says in verse 51, he says, What do you want me to do for you? Now that seems like a pretty obvious question, doesn't it? Someone comes up to you blind, says, help me. You pretty much know what you want, right? But I think it's a good question. It's a deep question. Because Jesus knows that when Bartimaeus is able to see, his life is going to change. See, Bartimaeus had gotten used to life being blind. He knew how to function within his blind world. He knew how to take care of himself in his blind world. He he begged most of the time, but that was a way that he knew how to function. And within society, they understood he can't see, he has to beg, we're going to help him. But that was all going to change if he could see. Everything in his world was going to change. He was going to have to no longer beg but work because people would see a man who could see and say, well, why don't you get a job? Just like people do today, right? For better or for worse, the attitude often is, you look healthy enough, get a job. And this is going to change. And so Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Because if I allow you to see, everything's going to be different. And I think this is very similar to our own spiritual walk. When we come to a place where we're searching for truth, we're searching to understand what it is that that our life is about. What is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything? And we go on this journey, and it's that journey of faith, and we begin to seek, and Jesus says, if you seek me, you'll find me. And I know in my own personal life, my parents made me go to church when I was a kid. I didn't really want to be in church. I wasn't a very uh, uh, willing participant, but I went because I was obedient enough to my parents to go. And some stuff got in there because when I began to really search, I knew what I needed to do. I knew who Christ was. I knew everything I needed to do. It was actually in Germany where I became, I gave my life to Christ. It was in 1986. It was a long time ago. For some of you, it's a long, long time ago, like before you're born, long time ago. For others others of us, this is like yesterday. But uh, that's where I gave my life to Christ, somewhere between here and Bremen, uh I was, hitch, I was hitchhiking, you know, along in 86 and gave my life to Christ. So anyway, and everything changed. And it was good, I can tell you. If you're in a place of searching and you're wondering, is it going to be worth it? It will be worth it. But it's not going to be necessarily easy. Just like Bartimaeus, now that he could see, he was going to have to work. The way he functioned in the world around him was going to have to change expectations that he had on the world around him was going to change. Expectations people had on him was going to change. Everything was going to change. So Jesus says to him, what is it you'd like me to do? Because it's a heavier thing than you might think to suddenly be able to see. But Bartimaeus knows what he wants. He wants to see. So he says, Rabbi, I want to see. And in that simple statement is very much the heart of the person who's seeking god to this day in faith jesus i want to see i want to understand why i'm here i want to understand this world this bizarre world that we're in it gets weirder and weirder it seems like every year and every year you think it can't get more strange and then it does yeah it's it's, it's bizarre and it shouldn't be a surprise to us. The Scripture tells us the closer we get to the end of time, the more strange it's going to be. Now, I'm not one that says the end of time is going to be next week because you, our, our history tells us, our human history tells us, things have been far worse than this, and it still wasn't the second coming of Christ time, the end days. But these, these are strange days. These are unusual days that we, like, recorded, assuming we have... Decades after this, they'll be recorded and looked back upon as huge social changes took place in the last two years that will affect us for decades to come. So what do you want? Well, Rabbi, I want to see. So Jesus allows him to see. He says, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I'm kind of coming to the the place in my life where I I question some of the teaching around this idea of your faith has healed you. Because what is very often taught is that somehow your faith affects the effectiveness of Christ and the power of Christ to do miracles or to heal or to enlighten folks. And in fact, there's other places in the scripture, like when Jesus uh, goes home to Galilee and it says he did not do many miracles there because of the lack of faith. And oftentimes, there used to be this, there was this book that was written back in the 80s called This This Present Darkness. Any of you aware of this book at all? Wow, how things, how trends come and trends go. That was like the book everyone was reading for a while. And, And in that, it was kind of a poor theology where he basically in the book says that as people pray, their prayers empower the angels to overcome the demons. But I find this to be very poor theology. Because I don't believe that Jesus' strength and his effectiveness and his ability to touch and make changes in our lives has anything to do with us and my faith or lack of it. I think God is so much greater. If I have faith or don't have faith, it doesn't really matter. God is still able to be God. He's not going to be limited by me. Now, it matters to me personally if I have faith or don't have faith. But, you know... I'm not so important that my lack of faith is going to somehow diminish the power of God. And neither are any of you. None of you are so significant that your faith or lack of faith is going to somehow diminish the power of God. But what we do see, and you look in the book of James for this, is very often our lack of faith means that we don't bother to ask. We don't even bother anymore. We just kind of decide, eh, I prayed about this once or twice. It didn't really work out the way I wanted to. I'm just not, not going to ask anymore. And so we don't ask. And if you look in James chapter 4, I think this is an interesting little insight. I'll just read it, or if you want to follow along, you can. This is 4, starting at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires at battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and you covet. So you want it, you don't get it, so you start on your own power. You kill, you covet, you'll do whatever you can to get it. You quarrel and fight. And then he says, you do not have because you don't ask God. We get to the point where we don't ask. Now, I'm not prosperity gospel. I'm not name it and claim it. I don't believe that you can like, look at like, your, the new uh, you know, BMW there and go, Lord, I'm claiming that in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving it to me and expect it to be in your driveway the next morning. I think that's using God as kind of a cosmic Santa Claus. But, There is certainly an aspect of coming to God with the things that are on your heart and praying and putting them before the Lord and asking Him. And then he goes on to say, And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasure. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? I think a lot of times in our faith as Christians, and even before we become believers, I, I'm assuming most of you are believers, but there's probably some of you that aren't. One of the things that, that is hard for people to get through their heads who aren't believers is that if you ask God to reveal himself to you, the scripture promises he will. And I can speak from my own experience from that. You know, when I came to know Christ, my prayer of salvation was very along the lines of this. Lord, I don't even know if you're real. But if you are, then take everything that I am, and I mean this from the core, of my, the core of who I am, take my life and make it yours. That was my prayer in 1986. And looking back on it, there's this guy named Soren Kierkegaard who was a Danish Christian philosopher, and he called that the leap of faith, where you just kind of leap out into the darkness and say, I'm going to trust that you're there. And then the hand of God was there for me, I can tell you. That moment is when I knew I was in the hands of God. And I went back and told my friends, man, I think I became a Christian. And they just thought I was crazy. They are like the world, sit down and shut up. And then I got back to the U.S. and began to you know, live for Christ. And I lost some friends over that. Not because they despised me. It was really kind of my own fault. I was just following Jesus. And I didn't look to the left or to the right. And I left them behind. And if I had someone tell me, to talk to that young man then be, go and talk to your friends. But these are the same friends that I got drunk with a lot, and so I figured that probably was a good thing that I walked away from them because they may have sucked me back in, I don't know. But I asked, and I think sometimes the reaction towards the prosperity gospel, which I, I can understand, I despise the prosperity gospel. I despise the health and wealth gospel because I think it leads people into deep disappointment. Because it's just not true. Being a Christian doesn't mean you don't suffer. Being a Christian means that in your suffering, there is, it is redeemed through the presence of God. Just as Christ... I, someone told me this this week, and it just kind of stuck in like a, a little bolt of truth. You know, we are redeemed through the suffering of Christ... And our suffering is also given meaning and redeemed because of our relationship with Christ. It doesn't mean it goes away. And there's some here that understand that deeply because every day could be a disappointment to them, but they choose to worship their God and to find Christ in the midst of the disappointment and the suffering that they're going through right now. Broken relationships, broken health, all the things that we very often bring us down. And we look to God and say, why? There is redemption because God is with you in that suffering. And he can give it meaning. And I know sometimes that is cold comfort. But it's true. And Bartimaeus receives his, his sight because he asks for it. And I would encourage us to be a people that, is thank, that are thankful but also people in that thankfulness to ask God. And if the answer's no, the answer's no to something. That's fine, but we can ask. doesn't hurt to ask. And then it says, and then he followed, it says immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along that road. When you are given sight, You're not given sight by God just to go off and continue to live your life as if it hasn't changed. Bartimaeus wasn't given the option to live his life as if it hadn't changed. I don't think they made sunglasses back then, so he couldn't put on a pair of shades and act like he was still blind. Everyone knew he could see now. And his life, I'm sure his community expected him to live in a different way as a person who could see. And how did he choose to live it? He followed Jesus. And I think this is why he's known to the early church by name and even his father's name, because it says he began to follow Jesus on the road. And I think that following Jesus took Bartimaeus into the church as it began to form, and later on was well known enough, including his own father, was well known enough within the church community to be mentioned by name. And that says something. And so when you are called, when you have received sight from God, you're not just called to continue to live your life as if nothing has changed. You are expected to live as though something has changed. And what has changed is that the Holy Spirit of God within you now gives you the opportunity to live within the character of Christ. And what is the character of Christ? Well, the character of Christ is basically the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and the scripture says against these things there is no law because you don't write a law that says well you're being too gentle or you're being too self-controlled the world will tell you sometimes you're loving too much or you're caring too much but you're not supposed to follow what the world says you follow what christ says what was his example of love peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control when you become a believer when your eyes open up and you follow jesus christ this is the place of expected growth because as these fruits in your life grow, and Jesus says, by the way, how do you know someone who's, who is like, you know, in God or in the kingdom of God? He says, by your fruits you'll know them, not by the spiritual gifts they might have, but by their fruits. Because spiritual gifts, lots of religions have different spiritual gifts. Speaking in tongues, which has caused a lot of uh, controversy throughout the church from the very beginning. Just read the book of 1 Corinthians. One reason why it causes a lot of issues is because speaking in tongues is not unique to Christianity. Almost, there are many religions throughout the world, Sufism, uh, different forms of of, uh, pagan religion where people get into this place where they begin to ecstatically utter out words that are not a language of their own or anything that people can understand. So you can't just look at gifts of the Spirit and say that makes a person a Christian because those things can be counterfeited. But the fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are character things, and you can't fake it for very long. You can try and fake it for a while, but stress will bring out the truth. And believe me, if you choose to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord, you're going to know some stress. Because he wants you to know some stress. He wants you to learn to trust. He wants you to learn to believe in him. He wants you to learn these things. Just like as a good parent, we stress our kids out when they say, gimme, 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 and you say, no, stand up, walk over, and get it. That little kid's stressed out. That two-year-old's like, I don't want to stand up. These legs are wobbly. They might fall over. I might hurt myself. And I don't think they think that clearly. Certainly I didn't. But but it forces them to, to grow. God's the same way. So, no, if you follow Christ, there will be stress. There will be suffering, but it will be redeemed. It will have meaning as you come to know him. So I want to encourage you, if you're a believer and you, are, you have a blind spot or you've kind of drifted from Christ, get refocused on him. If you've stopped talking, you stopped asking, go back to asking until he says, let's not talk about this anymore. There was a time that the Apostle Paul, he says, I prayed for this thorn to be removed. And finally, the Spirit of the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, this isn't going to go away. I'm just going to help you deal with it. But there are times, and that was an answer for Paul. It was probably a relief. Well, okay, I know it's not going to go away, but he's going to give me the grace to deal with it. If you're in that place as a believer, and you're kind of in this sort of gray area, kind of wandering around, ask that God would open up your spiritual eyes, refocus you, get close to Him, show you the way. And if you're not a believer, if you're here today and you're seeking, you're trying to find truth somewhere, in Islam or in Buddhism or Christianity, and you're just kind of on the, you know, sort of looking for something, ask. Just pray to God in general, however you understand Him. Show me the truth. And He will. will. And I believe if you you ask him with an open heart, he will lead you to Christ. Because I can say that was my own journey. God used some very strange things to lead me to him. And I'm not going to get into them today, but if I were to tell you, you'd be like, huh, how did that lead you to him? God does what God does. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So be like blind Bartimaeus. He knew he was blind. He knew who could help him. He had the guts to ask. And then he had the courage to follow. Maybe we do the same. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we do thank you for the, the simple stories that are deeply profound. And how we see this happen again and again in your scripture. It was something we can just read right past. When we take the time to stop and to pray about it and ask your spirit to illuminate it for us how much more we can learn. And Lord, we pray everyone here in some place of their life struggles with a a blind spot or two. Even if they're a believer, there's some areas that need to be worked on, some areas where we're still blind to, well, to our selfishness or to our sin. And Lord, we pray that you would inspire inspire us all to have the courage to ask you, "Where where are my blind spots and where can you shed light still in my life? even after years of following you. And for those that are kind of tired of asking because they've been discouraged by the world, it doesn't seem like their suffering is going away. May they find some comfort in knowing that the cup wasn't taken from you either. When you were on the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you prayed, Lord, there's a way to take this cup from me. But there wasn't. You had to drink of the cup. And through your suffering, we are redeemed. And in our suffering. There is redemption and there is meaning. May we have more the attitude of the Apostle Paul than, uh, than people today that are just kind of soft about everything. And Lord, we also pray too for those that may be among us here, or among our friends and our family, or work people, workmates that don't know you, that are blind and don't even know that they're blind. And Lord, for those who are here today, if they're in that place, may they know that they are blind but you are willing to give them sight if they are willing to trust you. And for those around us, our family and friends and who have all kinds of opinions and stuff going on in the world today, Lord, may we keep our focus on what is important and that is our relationship with you and walking with you. And may we point people through the noise and the confusion that is the world today to the one solid truth and anchor that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ who came, the very word of God made flesh, who took upon himself the nature of a man, a servant, who was obedient even unto death, who suffered and died upon the cross for the sake of the sins of the entire world, our substitute, who was buried and on the third day rose again to prove his victory over sin and death, who revealed himself to over 500 witnesses, many of whom were still alive at the time of the writings of the letters of the apostle Paul, and the Gospels, who ascended to heaven at the right hand of God, who gave us his Holy Spirit, and built the church, which we are a part of to this very day. May we know who we follow. May we know where our hope is. And may it be clear as we go through this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.